0: Hi, this is Samantha, and you're listening to the Layman's Doctor podcast, where we're bringing medicine home. Today, we're going to be having a conversation about PLAB, and that is the medical licensing examination that happens within the UK, and it allows you to work in the UK and potentially study in the UK as well. So I have with me Dr. Rakia. Cameron. We actually went to school together and she made a whole Twitter thread about her experience. And I thought that would be a great opportunity to have yet another conversation and another perspective of uh, this licensing exam. For those of you who have been listening for a while, and if you check, I do have one that was done a few months back. It's still there, uh, lots of information there. And we're just going to have another conversation again, get some new perspectives, get some new advice. So, Rakia, just tell us a little bit about yourself and let's get right into it.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Rakia. I'm 25. I graduated from medical school in 2020. Uh, Yes, at the beginning of the pandemic. I'm now... A medical officer, I work in the accident and emergency department, which is what I ultimately want to specialize in.
0: Okay, fantastic. I am super excited to have you on. I really enjoyed your thread and I shared it as well. I think I was just like, Hey, sounds like you should be on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about Plab and why you thought about doing it, and just your experience. In this podcast, I really want to focus a lot on a little bit of the logistics, I suppose, because you spoke a lot about where you got supporting material from, such as like question banks, videos that you used, and there is this one specific tweet that talks about the finances of the entire situation, and I think that would be such a great conversation to have as well so that persons can really focus in on how to prepare for this so if you want to know what plab is and more about plab and you know just what it means to do it and definitely have another podcast on that we'll very briefly touch on it here but i want to talk about the resources that you used, why what you liked about them what advice you give to persons who want to do the exam and because it's so expensive to do it hopefully pass again on their first try as well and then a little bit of the breakdown of how much it actually costs you to do the exam and the travel and all of that stuff so let's start with what's a brief overview of PLAB and why you said you know what let me let me do it so
1: just a brief overview PLAB it's an acronym for professional linguistics assessment and board exam something like that I don't remember it off the top of my head so if I get it wrong forgive me so <laughs> it's, a, it's a licensing exam to go to work as a doctor in the United Kingdom so there are two exams you have Plab one which is a multiple choice exam and Plab two which is an OSCE in Plab one you can do it they have number of different places in the world where you can do it most well not even to say most caribbean people we we only really have two options canada or united kingdom financial wise but those are the easiest places we can get to from jamaica or well not so much jamaica but anywhere in the caribbean basin but they have other places They have like india australia spain saudi arabia bangladesh a whole bunch of other places so, I mean, if you're looking for vacation leave and you want to go to those other places, then, you know, by all means. But, you know, financial, we'll get into a little more of the finances, but, you know, financial-wise, most of us usually go to Canada or the United Kingdom. Lab 2 is the ASCII, and you have to go to the United Kingdom to do that one. Specifically, Manchester in England. Yeah, it's 16 stations, usually lasts about three hours. And you get two rest stations in between during the exam. So I ultimately decided to do PLAB. So because the specialty I wanted, I was looking at options of where I could do residency. So most likely, you know, it would be the US or the United Kingdom. But then when I looked at the statistics of the United States of getting into emergency medicine as a non-US IMG, it's actually hard, especially because of, you know, Everybody kind of wants to go into it for more or less the same reason. They like the fast-paced environment. It's, you know, your typical, quote-unquote, nine to five, but not really nine to five. You get a 40-hour work week, in a sense. So a lot of Americans also like that. It's very competitive in the States between the Americans, as well as also non-Americans. And then plus, you know, other different factors. So I kind of took that into consideration with the cost of doing the U.S. exams, and then applying to match. And then for me, it just really didn't really make much sense. So I said, okay, let me do the U.K. exams. I already have my citizenship. Sorry, guys, I can't help with visa because I already have my citizenship. So for me, it was just like, okay, I can easily live and work there. I just have to pass the two exams and just go if I ultimately decide to go.
0: Okay, so... We can see for persons who study at UE um, or have a similar MBBS type uh, type degree, the exam is fairly similar to our own, where we have or written exams mm-hmm. and then, and this is multiple choice, right? Right. The flat one is multiple choice, and then you have the OSCE, which a lot of us are, of course, very familiar with. Whether even if you haven't finished MBBS as yet, but Basically, any of your clinical exams, the practical aspect, the OSCE aspect, they're all the same. It's just that it gets this number of stations get bigger and bigger um, for MBBS. And all right, we also heard about your reason for going as well. And it's really just so you can have an option, right? Whether right. you want to stay here or go there that's it and a huge part i'll always say that whenever we're talking about these international examinations that nobody's reason is gonna be your reason so your reason has to come from you it has to be something that you think about because here's the thing we will realize that the culture of medicine exists across the board it's not something that's unique to jamaica per se right a lot of challenges or stressors And even wins that we have locally, persons have those almost same experiences, whether in the United States, UK, or any other type of country. I would say one of the advantages of going somewhere outside of Jamaica, whether it is for residency or for fellowship, is that because these places are often better resourced, the quality of research that you can do and the things that you can learn Are a little bit different, you know, because they may have, they may be a bit more advanced in medicine or medical practices or have more persons to do this practice with. You know, I'm thinking about new surgical techniques, different types of testing, thinking about genetics, stuff like that. So I've had persons on here talk about they love Jamaica, but they went away because the medicine that they're interested in and interested in learning was not readily available here in Jamaica. A lot of persons you see will go away and do fellowships and learn these amazing skills and tools and oftentimes come back and offer that type of service and care here in Jamaica. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking about your reasons and your whys and whatnot, it's a very personal decision. You're going to have challenges no matter where you go, whether you stay here or you go abroad, and you just really have to decide what it is is going to be the best for you, your family, and what's going to ultimately make you, I suppose, happy or feel accomplished as a physician. So let's talk about the resources that you used first. So for tab one, I'm seeing here that you use a few question banks or whatnot. So it's 180 question MCQ and you basically only have one minute per question, right? Mm -hmm. That is, it's wild and not so wild because we all know there's some questions you read it and you're like, I know the answer to this. But then there are other questions when you're like, I'm going to need a minute to think about this right so Mm -hmm. maybe before jumping into plab one Mm -hmm. you did say that they're changing the exam in 2024 right right which means i'm gonna have to start doing whole new podcasts in 2024 i'm not sure if you know because you did mention it is it that they're changing just the name of the exam or they're changing the entire structure or you are just like, I have no idea, Sam?
1: <laughs> right now, I think the only people that knows is the...
0: <laughs> you see themselves. Yeah.
1: It's sounding like a similar multiple choice and ASCII type of situation. The syllabus may be the same, but I think one thing that's going to be new I mean, other than the whole name change, of course, is that the, U- the UK students will also be doing the same exam. So I guess I don't know how to explain it so well, but I think there's no more of like a comparison effect. I don't know how it will translate over into applying to post, training post, non-training post jobs and that kind of stuff, but it also brings in that kind of comparison between the UK students versus an international student. So really and truly, no nobody really knows. We just know that it's happening and it should be happening in twenty twenty-four. So I guess closer to the time the GMC will come out and give us a bit yeah.
0: more
1: about it. So right,
0: well these yeah. podcasts are valued up until I suppose this Face Change. <laughs> and I'm sure and I'm sure even after the fact they will likely still hold value. as well so i think that's just a note for if you're listening to this now and you're thinking maybe you're in third year or fourth year like oh i'm gonna do this in my essay show year or my internship year, and so on and you're a medical officer now right yes awesome all right so let's let's jump back to what we're talking about so plab one is 180 questions mcq multiple choice and you have 180 minutes That's one minute per question. Yeah. No. You use the words, and I quote, PLAB 1 is relatively easy to study for. (laughs) Uh, When I say easy to study for, I mean
1: comparatively... First of all, comparatively to PLAB 2. Uh-huh. Because PLAB 2 does involve some amount of practicing. But PLAB Mm 1, so you have quite a lot... How about compared to MBBS? Compared to MBBS... (laughs) Well, yeah. To be yeah. To be fair, I can't com- I can compare this one to NBBS. I think it was easier to study for than NBBS,
0: mm-hmm.
1: mostly because you have one main resource to study from,
0: mm-hmm. which is
1: called probable. So, like, if you go on like different Facebook groups or you ask anybody who or most people who've done Plab, they're gonna say probable. They probably is mm-hmm. like a main of their resource. I use it as well. In my prep, I used it in the last, I think I used it in the last month. So how they organize it, they organize it according to different specialties. Mm-hmm. So you have it like cardiology, endocrinology, gastro, gen surge. I think they had breast surgery. I think they separated obs and gyne. I don't remember, but that was their um, pediatric, psychiatry, epidemiology, the whole works. I'm not even going to get into all of them. So, because it was more the latter part of my preparation when I was using it, so I kind of just sat down and I went through from top to bottom and I just did all the, well, I didn't finish it really, but I just went through the categories in a particular order. And I think at a point when it was getting close to the exam and I wasn't finishing, Mm -hmm. I kind of just picked the more high-yield, quote-unquote, high-yield ones in my opinion, and it just kind of, went through some of those to kind of have some idea of the content. They also have a gems, which I found pretty useful, especially with the questions I didn't get to go through. So it's kind of like flashcards with very high yield information that you want to just keep at the forefront of your mind, especially because it's essentially it's pretty much all the clinical knowledge you've really ever accumulated in medicine on one exam. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for me, a lot of things will be thrown into my brain. And then at some point, some things kind of just get, end up getting kind of thrown out as more things kind of get in. So Probable Gems is really useful, especially if you want to review something. You don't really want to go back over the questions. And if you want to go back over some concepts or whatever, you can use that and review. They also have mock exams. So it's pretty much their entire question bank. And then they'll shuffle it and give you 180 questions from it. And then you have three hours to do it.
0: So you said that you use probable, like in the latter parts. Mm -hmm. What did you use to go over, say, content? Because I'm realizing we tend not to speak about that. So, what did you use to go over, like, the actual content itself? So, whether it is something in cardiology or rheumatology whatnot what material did you use
1: right. for me it was it was mostly i mostly just did questions but whenever you're going through the categories themselves or even like after you finish the mock exam and you're going through it they give you they'll give you the answer and they'll give you a note as to why the answer is right or wrong and then they'll have like a web page on like or a link to a webpage on the whole topic itself, where if you want to, you can sit down and read it. Most other people, they also go to the NICE website, because ultimately, NICE is the... Uh, how do I explain it?
0: So NICE is kind of like uh, they're telling you information about conditions within the context of the UK right it's like, so like it, it's, it's like the uk standard so if you're gonna learn about something you might as well learn about it from the uk standard it's almost like saying when for ui they want us to learn how to examine using the MacLeods. there might be other resources that exist but the gold standard is the MacLods. so you can't go wrong if you say i learned this from McClouds hello this is the MacLeod. so i get you i think what you're trying to say is after doing the doing the questions and i mean you weren't really far removed from med school anyways i think it's much more revision than possibly studying for you yeah um so you do the questions and if you needed any additional support or any additional clarification mm-hmm. using nice is a way to say okay let me prepare for this UK exam using UK resources and UK sure. materials.
1: Yeah, a lot of times GMC will say the answer is based off of the latest NICE guidelines. Mm-hmm. So, so might yeah. as
0: well use it.
1: Right. But the thing with it, it's actually very bulky to read. So there's a, actually a smaller version called Clinical Knowledge Summaries or the NICE CKS. But it's really only accessible in the UK.
0: Okay, so PLAB 1.0 fairly simple um 180 questions 180 minutes just it's just the questions 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 and review 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 as well as uh, touch up knowledge where needed now you said that plab two which is the the oski part of it that one was a little bit harder to study for what do you mean by that
1: all right so plab two so how they want you to perform the ASCII or how you should do the ASCII, it's very different from how we do our med school ASCII. So I think the closest we would do, if you're a UA med student, the closest you kind of come to it is more in, in a community health ASCII where you have to either take a history, manage a patient, or counsel a patient, and then while you're doing it, you have to use your patient simple terms so, you know, you can't say, oh, say, for example, you know, you have Meniere's disease, but you can't just leave it at that. You have to explain to the patient what Meniere's disease is. And you can't say what Meniere's disease is using medical terms. You have to explain it in layman terms to the patient, and you have to make sure that they're understanding, they're with you, they have any questions, that kind of stuff. And it's also not about as how much medical information you can spit out. It's really more managing the patient and managing the patient's situation. So sometimes the stations are pretty straightforward and then sometimes there's a twist. There's If you don't ask a particular question or you miss the point at the station, it can ultimately affect you, affect your grade at the end.
0: Okay. How did you know that this was how the... OSCEs were like I suppose I'm really asking you what resources did you use to not just prepare for the OSCE but kind of find out how the OSCE is so, so for example as UE students we really only know how to prepare for the OSCE because you know it's it's UE tradition people pass down the information but like say for example if you're someone who came from Cuba or China and you're now doing CAMC a lot of times they often get preparation support for CAMC um, through friendships um, with, with persons who have studied at UE because even CAMC, the expectation is that it's done in a UE style. But there is no book, there is no resource, there is no online anything, there is no crash course or anything that is UWE style OSCE exams. Now with PLAB being such a huge licensing exams. I'm sure that there are resources out there. So what did you use and what did you find most useful?
1: All right. So yeah, how PLAB 2 resources came about was really people who did the PLAB exams, the PLAB 2, and then they passed. And then they kind of started, okay, I passed. I can help different persons who need the exam. And then persons will come because persons will come to them and ask for help ask for marks, ask for different feedback. And then as time and time goes on, most people actually turn it into a business. So you have different Plab 2 academies, is what it's called. So you have a lot of online academies, you have in-person academies in the UK. So I did a mixture of both. So I did an online academy. I went to... It was somebody called Dr. Shaz. I think her academy is now called the UK Medical Learning Academy. And how I found out about it, I just randomly clicked a Telegram link on Facebook that led me to her Telegram group. So I was like, okay, let me just hop into this and join and see if I can find you know, anything else to read or start preparing for the exam. So yeah, that's how I kind of found out about it. So I had started preparing using her resources, but to be fair, I didn't really start studying until two months before, but that's when I had actually gotten my date to do my exam. So I did her revision course, which is like pretty much she gave different cases or examples of cases, and she gave you a way of how to approach them, which is how I learned how to, the structure of how to approach the stations. I did a prescription station with her. Sorry, a prescription class, because there is a prescription station, and she had taught us how to approach it what the prescription looks like how to fill out the cardex. except i don't really think they call it a cardix but essentially it's a cardix and the different nuances and what to kind of also expect in the station as well and i did two mock exams with her as well so pretty much she gave me a case i had eight minutes to do the consultation do the scenario and then she gave me feedback afterwards and for her stuff it was really good so it gave me a good solid foundation as to how to approach the exam. And it did tell me how to approach the different type of stations that could come. So for example, there's telephone stations, there's video calls, stations where you have the patient sitting in front of you, the prescription station, sometimes you have the patient, sometimes you don't. And her mock exam, so she doesn't grade you, she just pretty much just she pretty much just gives you feedback. She tells you where you went wrong. Um, what you could have done better, and she goes through the scenario afterwards with you. So I really did find it useful. I also did that in person academy. So the in person academies, most of them, they run in blocks of two weeks. So if you go on the internet, go on Facebook and ask for advice, most persons would say, okay, do a two week academy and then give yourself some time afterwards to practice and then you go do your exam. But for most of us, in jamaica if you think about it if you're working you know this is not gonna work because we get three weeks of vacation leave per year paid vacation leave and if you want any more than that you know it's no pay leave so you know if we're gonna do a two-week course it's either you're gonna do a two-week course and then come back to jamaica and then go up later for the exam or you're gonna do the two-week course and then After two weeks, you maybe have a couple days and then you just go straight into the exam. Now, people have done it and... Not Jamaicans, I don't know anyone who personally who has done it, but I've seen people post in Facebook that they went to an academy two weeks, did the exam and they passed on the first try. So, that's also an option as well. But for me, why I didn't choose to go with it? One, the cost, it's on average £600 and... I was just like, no. Because it's too expensive. You don't know. And if if you look in the different Facebook groups for reviews, it's quite a lot of mixed reviews. It does get a little bit confusing because you're like, do I want to sit down and spend my £600 on an academy? And it, it may not work for me. It may not be something that will eventually help me in the long run. Like, Is this going to end up being a waste of money? All of that stuff. The academy I ultimately ended up choosing. They didn't have a two week crash course so what they did is they have an online course and the in-person academy course the in person academy course is more procedures um examinations i think they go through teaching stations the acute care stations that they called siman why they call it siman is just a type of mannequin i think that's yeah those are the four they go through and they also do prescription stations but that's not really a part of it and then they have the different classes week by week so every week you're going through prescription teaching examination simman and that's every week so it gave me the option to go for a week so okay i can go for one week and i can do all of those classes and then you also have access to the mannequins to practice whenever and i think they also gave you two mock exams as well and their online course is pretty much Something similar to Dr. Shat's review course, except I think their online class gives you everything. It goes through the different types of stations you can get. So they go through it systematically and they give you a structure for each of the stations and they'll go through the different scenarios. Yes, why I ended up picking that course was because it was a little bit more flexible for me where I could just go... And just do the procedures portion of it because that's the only thing I really, I wouldn't have been prepared for at the point when I would have gone to the UK. So since I already had Dr. Shazi's stuff, I opted not to take the online portion of the course.
0: Okay. How did you find these in-person academies? And if you don't mind, if you like even remember the name of a few of them, hopefully I could maybe even link it in the show notes below. But how did you go about finding these resources?
1: So, I'll send you a link. There's a PLAB, well, there's a number of PLAB Facebook groups. I can send you a link for a couple of them. So, it's pretty much just scrolling through because a lot of people who have, who, when they pass PLAB one, they'll go into the group and they're like, okay, guys, I passed PLAB one. How do I prepare for PLAB two? Which academy do I go to? Persons who have passed PLAB two, they'll go into the groups and say, hey, I passed PLAB two. This is what I use. I went to this academy and it worked for me. So that's how I found out about it, about the different academies. As I said, I found out through Dr. Shaz from a random telegram link that was in the group and I just kind of joined it. So they're like, okay, let me just see what this is about. The academy, the one I went to was Mosabi's Academy. It's in Liverpool. And how I found out about it was that I asked Dr. Shaz. She's the person who I went to, who I did the review course with. And I was asking her for different... If there are any academy options where i could just do the procedures only and she had mentioned most so i went on facebook so he has a facebook group i don't think he he doesn't go through a website he doesn't have a website from what i know so i found a facebook group i went through and i looked at what he was offering and it kind of fit my schedule a little bit better which is why i ultimately went with it with regards to accommodation and that kind of stuff, the Facebook group had options for accommodation. When I spoke to the administrator at Mosabi, they gave me options for accommodation as well. I think it was about, about 15 minutes walk from the academy. Where I stayed was somewhere called Newsham Lodge, which was really, really nice. It's very pricey, it's actually very expensive, but you get your own bathroom, you get your own room, it's shared facility, shared kitchen. And I think they give you breakfast free. So you're really just only responsible for lunch and dinner. And there's also a supermarket right beside the academy. And you know, England is a first world country. So you have options for public transport. You have options for Uber as well. So it wasn't hard to get around. And it was pretty straightforward, pretty simple living. Because most accommodations when you when I looked on Airbnb and stuff, it was a lot of shared bathrooms, shared
0: facilities, and I really wasn't into that, especially sharing with people mm-hmm. that I didn't know. Alright, so yeah. um very quickly before we go into finances, how did you manage to work all of this out while you were a senior house officer at the time or were you had you already started MO?
1: Oh, I was on SHO at the time. So at the time I was on Health where it was just work and you go home, they have beauty. So yeah, I really just I really did have all the time in the world to sit down and figure this out. And then for me, I also didn't need the visa, so it was really just get the dates, I could just book the plane ticket, book everything, and then just go.
0: How did you navigate the the traveling, especially with COVID times? Did you do PLAB one and PLAB two back to back, or did you travel multiple times, maybe once for PLAB one, again for your prep, and then again for PLAB two? How did you plan out your traveling, um, both in terms of the logistics of it? So, how many times you'd actually go into the UK, and then if you needed time off from work as well?
1: So, I actually didn't know if I would have been able to sit PLAB one until about six weeks before the exam because at the time when i booked the dates, it was january 2021 canada's borders were essentially locked to all non-canadians so i just booked it and i was just like okay well let's see what happens in november so i think about july august they had posted something to say that in september there would be opening up the borders to all Fully vaccinated international travellers.
0: Wait, sorry. Did you do PLAB1 in Canada or in the UK? Oh, sorry.
1: I did PLAB1 in Canada. I should have, like, mentioned that before. So, for PLAB1, I had gone to Canada. So, I found out about six weeks before that Canada was opening up their borders. For international travellers at that point, I said, okay, I could do the exam. So, it was the first week of November. And then, at that point, I would have been switching rotations. So... I would have I had to contact my new rotation and ask them if they would allow me to get leave to go and I got approval. So I had done PLAB One. I think I went up for a week to the PLAB One. The exam was the Thursday, I flew out the Monday. I think I had come back the Saturday. So it was kind of a just do the exam and come back sort of thing. Again, as I said, can really help with. Anybody who needs the visas, but if you have a Jamaican passport, you're gonna need a visa to go to Canada. And again, I don't really know the process.
0: All right, so you got time off from work to do PLAB one. Luckily, um, the person in charge of the next rotation um, was kind enough to approve that leave for you. So, how about for the practice part as well as PLAB two? Those were definitely in the UK. Yes, yeah,
1: so PLAB two. I used my three weeks vacation leave and I had gone up in May. With regards to practicing, it's hard to practice, especially with other persons doing the exam because for one, I had other colleagues doing the exam, but it was way after I was doing it. So I used a colleague who was doing the exam closest to when I was doing mine. So my exam was May. I think her exam was, I think, July. So... Me and her would practice a lot. And then when I went to the UK, I found persons at my accommodation, well to be from everybody at my accommodation was doing plot too. So it was easy to find people to practice there. It was easy to find people who were practicing in the academy. So we kind of just meet up and we practice the different stations. And sometimes even if you're in like the different plab Telegram groups, you can just message, hey, anybody up for practicing? And people will be like, yes, I'm up for practicing and you can do it via telegram phone call or WhatsApp phone call and you go through the different stations and you practice. If you're going to forego the academy, then you're going to have to practice like how we would normally practice back in medicine. On your pillow. You find your (laughs) pillow, you you go through the technique on your pillow, you find your sibling, your parents, you go through the examinations Mm -hmm. on them because especially if you go into the exam, sometimes you see the mannequins and you get flustered because mannequins are something we're used to and i know for the scenarios that i got the examinations that came in my mm-hmm. exam there weren't particular examinations that i had done regularly in med school so you know how like you got you're in ue and you know everybody knows okay cardio respite abdomen cranial nerves and i don't know, I don't know what else. those are the main ones motor sensory you know sometimes you go in the exam and you get something where you never ever do in a ask before so that was the case for me, but luckily I had practiced it on the mannequin. They had taught me about Cindy the academy, so I kind of knew what to expect. I practiced it on the mannequin, so when I went in the exam, you know, it was kind of just rolling off my tongue at that point.
0: Great. So, now let's hop into the part I think a lot of persons will find useful. So we're going to have to talk about the plane tickets, the cost of the tickets, cost of accommodation, the cost for the prep resources, all of them, and I suppose any other miscellaneous fees and the cost of actually doing the exam. And I know that you said that you would be willing to share that in your thread. I didn't really go into it, but I would love to hear more. And just also remember, guys, that if you don't already have a visa or You're not already a citizen of a country where you don't need a visa to go, whether to Canada or to the UK, that you will have to keep in mind the cost of actually getting the visa to do this. All right, so let's go. The cost and the time, because you have to factor in the That's true, cost and the time. All right, so what were your prices like? What were your costs like? All right, so Club
1: 1, I think I paid... Two hundred and thirty-seven pounds for that exam, so that's about fifty-six thousand Jamaican dollars at the time. I think at the time, pound was probably approximately 200, 200 Jamaican to a pound, about that, or two hundred and a little bit. And the plane ticket to Canada was about say about six hundred dollars, six hundred US dollars, maybe as more, well, maybe as less. Um, accommodation that was free because I had stayed with a family member but if you're gonna stay at a hotel it's maybe a hundred and something Canadian
0: or at least that was a hotel
1: where my exam was I think it was a hundred and something Canadian per night there are definitely other cheaper ones around so if you don't have family members living in Canada or living in the Toronto area rather then you have to factor in accommodation cost for transport cost for food i think those are the yeah those are the main things if your hotel doesn't have free wi-fi and you have to pay for wi-fi in your room you're gonna have to factor that in as well because again a lot of the resources are online you're going to need the internet to study i think that's pretty much one. Oh, mm-hmm. the resources Plausible. i think it was I remember the Plabbable gems was an additional ten pounds. I remember that. Um, I think Plabbable was somewhere between twenty and forty pounds, and I had paid for one. Did I pay for a month? Yeah, I think I had paid for a month because I just did it for mm-hmm. it October. And- Fairly
0: affordable. Mm-hmm. really
1: affordable. I don't remember I had it for three months and then I just used it the last month. Don't remember the exact logistics of that one. There are other question banks. There's Past Medicine Question Bank. There's Medivision's Question Bank. I know those two are the other popular ones that people use. I don't remember the exact cost of them, to be honest. But they're available on the internet. I'll send you so you can put them in the show notes. So you can go on them. They have different packages. Well, not so much packages, but how long you'd have access to the bank for. So you have one month, three months, six months, a year. So, if you have your date and you want to start preparing, you can have it for, say, your date is next year, for example, August, and you want to start preparing, you can have the 12-month subscription, and you can just start doing questions now, and it would last you until next year, October. That's just an example. There are other, like, there's notes resources? Oh, yes, there. I just remember there were mm-hmm. notes resources. I know there was plab but it's not like structured notes where you can say okay i'm going to read about a myocardial infarction." for today it's going to tell you everything about myocardial infarction. it's like little keys and little, like you know key points that you should remember so for example if you go to cardiology there's probably like 90 different keys and if you read it it's like key points that you should remember i don't remember a lot of the Plab one class to be honest because it's been, it's been a while but comparatively it's Pub one's prep materials and stuff. It's relatively, relatively affordable. I don't think I paid 50, more than fifty pounds for any one resource.
0: Okay, okay. So just remind mm-hmm. me again, how much was the actual pub exam? It was pub one was two
1: hundred and thirty nine pounds. So it, at the time, it was fifty six thousand yeah. Jamaican. It would have dropped. now. well, the price would have gone mm-hmm. up. No. So, it's, I think it's 240 or 250 now.
0: And then PLAB 2 was how much?
1: PLAB 2, I paid £879. But I know that one increased to 906 okay.
0: How much was the course, the resource for PLAB 2?
1: So, the academy I went to, the practical course was £300. I know there's a discount with 50 pounds if you can five, find five people and you go in a group of five and you get 50 pounds uh-huh. off, but I couldn't really find a group of five people, so I just paid the 300 up front. I know if you add on the online, if you do both of them, it's 500 pounds. But yeah, that's an that's an option. If you're going to go into the other in-person academies, it's 600 pounds for the whole uh-huh. course. The different online courses, I can only talk about Dr. Shazzy's course because that's the one i used oh i also use another one called TrueLink, which is pretty much like it's pretty much just videos and it's run by ex-gmc examiners so people who used to examine Mm -hmm. so they still give you advice and they'll give you not so much how to approach the stations but more the information that you need the clinical medical information that you need to so tell the patients, They won't necessarily give you a way how to explain it into layman's terms, but gives you that background information that you need. And I found it pretty useful. I think that one was 99 pounds per month. I only used it for a month. So I only paid 99 pounds for that. And then Dr. Shaz's course, her vision course was 64 pounds. And that was actually on a discount. The prescription class was, I think, 10 or 15 pounds. And in her mock exams, I did an eight station and a six station. No, I did a four station and a, it's supposed to add up mm-hmm. to 14. So it was four and then I think 10 or... Yeah, four and then 10. So I think the four was probably about 30 or 40 pounds. And then the 10 was 70-something pounds. So... Don't know how much that would come to if you add it all up. Maybe on average, a hundred pounds, but since I've done the exam. I know her prices have actually gone up.
0: Okay. So in total, and I'm talking about playing fares, cost of exams, plus resources, lodging, and just going around the, the, the countries, the various countries, how much would you say you spent preparing for and actually doing the examination. Z, plural.
1: <laughs> I know flap 2 was maybe maybe total 1,500 to 2,000 pounds. That can't
0: include the plane fare. <laughs> it's
1: probably, because, more, I mean, than <laughs> it's probably more than that. It's probably more than From Jamaica
0: to the UK is at least 1,000. Like really? Yeah, US like no, it's eight hundred okay, US, and then that. Yeah, so let's let's run it off to a nice mm-hmm. thousand.
1: And then to be fair, I I flew straight to Manchester, so that plane fare was a lot more expensive
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you take the flat cost. But because I had, I got points, I used my points and booked my plane ticket, which is why my plane fare ended up coming up. I just had okay, to pay the taxes. Okay, So I can't really use my experience. If you're gonna fly, you'd fly from Kingston or Mobe straight to London. And then you'd have to take transport from London to Manchester. I know that is about a hundred, eighty to hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. And the plane ticket is about a hundred US, which is if you work that back.
0: Plane ticket is a hundred US to go where.
1: Sorry, a thousand US. Okay. So in total, that's probably gonna come up to a thousand pounds itself. So if you're gonna do an academy, you have your academy your academy accommodation. If you're going to just go straight up to Manchester to do the exam you have to you're gonna have to stay somewhere if you don't have family mm-hmm. so hotels I stayed at the Moxie in Manchester City which was I stayed for four nights which is about 300 pounds in total but again I had some points so I used that to cut down some of the costs I ended up paying 117 pounds for mm-hmm. the four nights So people who aren't as fortunate as me or so much lucky there's all the hotel And the hotel I stayed at was across the road from the GMC building. So I just say, you know what? If anything happens and I'm very late, I can just run across the road. There are other nearby ones that are for way cheaper. There's a Premier Inn. I think it's called Premier Inn Manchester mm-hmm. City that I go for, which is like way cheaper. I don't remember how much this is per night. But I think if you add up the cost for the four nights, it could come up to about the same 117 that I pay for. There's another Premier inn, and I think that one is a 10-minute walk, and then there's another Premier in that's a 20-minute walk that I know I, a colleague of mine had stayed at, and it was... It came up to 150 to 200 I don't remember the exact cost, but it's cheaper than the hotel I yeah. had stayed at. So those are the questions. Um, I know other persons, I know they stayed at travel lodge there is a hotel inn that was like 20 minutes walk that somebody i knew stayed at as well if you're going in a group you can bump up in an airbnb and split that and if you do that that works out cheaper than going to a hotel there's that as well and you know your other stuff food transportation you know the uk has a good bus and train system so it's pretty it's pretty easy to get around so yeah But full total cost approximately since I'm on me with the plane ticket, maybe about (laughs) three thousand pounds on average for me. Maybe not so much. Probably not so much.
0: Maybe two if you add up everything in everything in cash value. And then with putting in plab one, the the most expensive thing again is gonna be your your ticket and your lodging, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean if you if you budget maybe five thousand U.S. or or pounds, which is close to nine hundred not Jama- nine hundred thousand Jamaican dollars, right? But you can definitely cut down on those costs if you know you're staying mm-hmm. with people or staying with family, staying with loved ones, or or again are using points to pay for tickets and for lodging. You know, maybe as for birthday present, you ask for a plane ticket, you know, instead of something else or, you know. But the, the at the end of the day, doing these exams are fairly expensive. However, I sometimes think that they're not as expensive as we think they are. And I'm realizing that PLAB versus USMLE, tends to even out in terms of cost I, I personally think that doing the pub exam is a bit cheaper and what really makes it so expensive is the fact that you're traveling so far away so even if it's Canada it's mm-hmm. still pricey to go to Canada I mean flying to Miami sometimes is 300 for the round trip you know but going to Canada or going to the UK oftentimes yeah. you're going over 800 US to pay for these tickets. And then, of course, there is lodging. So, I mean, budgeting time is important. Budgeting the money is also important. And again, that's why it's, I think it's so important to not just get up one day and say, hmm, you know, I'm going to do this exam, you know, and maybe spend the time to really think about, is this what I want to do? Is this something that I want to take the upper? Not just not the opportunity but take the steps towards doing and uh, i suppose uh, taking that time out to really look at what it is that you want to do and the reasons behind why you want to do it and uh, i mean i will forever say because on twitter now my um twitter page or my twitter feed it's really a lot of medicine I think because of the things that I post and it's a lot of residency stories and um, people who are studying in the UK um, in the States and all over the world and again a lot of the challenges that we face here in Jamaica are faced all across the world um, with the culture of medicine, interpersonal relationships.
1: And then especially you if you add into um going into like a state especially depending on which part of the the Mm -hmm. u.s you go to and the uk can also add in racism as well on top of you know other problems
0: that are in exactly there are pros and cons to everything and i mean i don't think i've ever ended any of these podcasts saying to people what they should and they shouldn't do or what's best for them but just that it's a decision that they're going to have to make and to make a pros and cons list and help you decide. So just to wrap up, I'm really happy that you took the time. Oh, I mean, scheduling this was very hectic.
1: <laughs> Honestly, the most challenging thing right now as a working adult
0: is to just schedule things with people because just a whole bunch of things. Yeah. It, it is really crazy. It's, it's really crazy yes i'm so happy that you took the time to have the conversation with me i really hope that persons who listen to this find value in it and not just find value in it but find that it's useful to them and take some of the the resources and the budget considerations um when planning their own futures and when they're preparing again do plab so i'm just going to ask you to share your email address i know you're very open to persons asking you questions and sharing resources i think that's something that's very excellent i'm happy that um everyone that comes on my podcast is very willing to share with others and which is also a huge hallmark of them even coming on this as well so what are your closing thoughts firstly and um what address can we shoot you an email for if we have any more questions or anything like that
1: so if you're in the medical system already so you're an intern or an SHO, if you haven't already kind of just start you know do any research start thinking about what exam you want to do with regard whether or not it's usmle or plab or amc which is the australian exam or the canadian exam do you look into the different systems. If you know what specialty you want to do, research around how the residency program is or what the, let me not say the work environment because you won't really know the work environment until you go, but what it's like to, you know, work there. So, you know, Google, YouTube, you know, you can ask any of your colleagues or if anybody knows anybody who has done the exams or who's worked there. And just to get an insight and you know you can make it make your decision off that because these exams they're as you have gone through they're very 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 expensive but you know ultimately if you know you do the exam and you don't end up you know migrating you know there's it's still a good thing to have even if you still end up doing you know staying here and doing a program it can open a door for you for your elective or maybe for a fellowship. Like you know, you never really know. Yeah, and also if you're an intern or an SHO, you know, once you make you dec- made a decision, start preparing, start getting your resources together, start budgeting, start studying, so that you know you can pass on the first try. You don't have to be worrying about finances. Even that you aren't successful, you know, how we're we gonna go back over and do this again that kind of stuff so please 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 prepare properly please study as best as you can yeah if you're in medical school really and truly you may hear a lot of your senior studying. you know start thinking about your exams or whatever but really and truly you can't start thinking about it you can start you know doing your research even if you're thinking about doing an exam or thinking about you know Moving to a particular country can take one of the elective periods, especially now since everything's kind of open back up and stuff, or starting to open back up. Can take one of the elective periods, you can go to the US or the UK and just see what the system is like and see if it's somewhere you want to eventually go as well. If you have the money and the time to study, I mean, you can do the USMLE while you're in med school. Probably it's a little different. Probably you have to wait until you graduate. You can't make a GMC account until you've graduated from medical school, so. You really do just have to wait. But just focus on, really and truly, just focus on finishing, focusing on graduating. If you have uh, your ideas and you want to do your research and stuff, that's good. My email, if you have any questions about this, it's rakia, R-A-K-I-Y-A, C-A-M-E-R-O-N at iCloud.com. So you guys can email me there and you can ask me any questions you have and I'll try and respond as quickly as I can.
0: Thank you again so much for doing this podcast with me. I'm sure that persons will find it useful. Now, if you want to reach out to me, you can do that through DMs on social media, Instagram and Twitter is at thelaymansdr. Um, you can send me a message from my website at uh, thelaymansdoctor.com or you can send me a email at samantha at thelaymansdoctor.com. Thank you for listening and until next time.